This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello and welcome to a Wednesday night episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. First up on the line right now, Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus, a new full-time Pro Football Focus guy now, right? Yeah, I have been for a little over two years now. And then uh, just recently got promoted to NFL editor at Pro Football Focus. So right. very exciting opportunity. Um, but, but I've been with the company since 2016 as a part-timer here in college and then full-timer after college and moving forward after that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, I went through a bunch of stuff today on PFF, as I do most days. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you because there's just the NFL. We are still, we just finished up week three. And it's interesting to just think about different storylines of who people are talking about. It seems like the biggest one after week three, and this might be good for John Gruden and the Raiders, is Dak Prescott and his limited passing yards dating back to 10 plus games. And um, is the Cowboys offense broken? But if you go to PFF, which everyone should go do, you see that the Cowboys still have a top 10 offensive line. It's not what it was a couple of years ago, but it uh, the offensive line is not the problem. People predicting that the doom and gloom because of that. It's really just Dak. It seems like I should say that Dak is just not finding guys, and it it, it depending on who you ask, is it the lack of depth at receiver? Is it just Dak not making plays? Um, what is your read on what's going on with Dak and the Cowboys? Yeah, that's you know a great question, and I think it starts with that offensive line ranking. You know, still ranking inside the top ten. Yes, they don't. They're not as good as they used to be. The juggernaut they used to be. But a lot of the pressures that you know are allowed by the Cowboys are on Dak Prescott. He's holding the ball too long, not finding the open target. You know, put dropping his eyes to early, you know, early pressure, quote unquote. Maybe he's seeing phantom pressure, as we like to call it. That's first and foremost. And then you can't shift all the blame on the guy. You know, those wide that wide receiving core lacks depth. Yes, we like Michael Gallup coming out of Colorado State, but. Cole Beasley, Michael Gallup, and, and, and you know, makeshift tight end group. It, it, there's just not a lot there for Dak to really get anything going. However, I think the consensus or, you know, that, that, that thought that's kind of trending as of late that Dak's maybe not this guy we thought he was because of how good that offensive line was and how good Ezekiel Elliott was playing. You had Des Bryant, Jason Witten. Now when you start to see, you know, some of those pieces go away, you're starting to see that maybe this guy can't create, you know, he can't create on his own. He's not a guy that makes players better or relies on the players around him to kind of elevate his play enough to be a playoff caliber QB. But if Dallas doesn't build around him significantly, they're not going to be able to push as far as they want to. But at that point, investing in so much surrounding talent, in addition to having to pay him a QB contract pretty soon, it's just not, you know, really fathomable for the Dallas Cowboys to kind of continue with him if they're not 100% sure he's the guy. 
what do you think they think about him right now? Do you think that you get the sentiment that it's like a Jason Garrett just kind of has to ride this out uh, with Dak, and if Dak isn't the guy, then maybe Jason Garrett gets tossed too? Is that kind of where this is leading, or do you think this is one of those where Jason Garrett will get an opportunity to mold another quarterback? I think we all know who's pulling the strings, and it's it's definitely uh, Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones' sentiment mm-hmm. of Dak Prescott and Jerry Jones' sentiment of Jason Garrett, whether they're the same or two different ones, whichever guy he likes better, that's the guy who's staying. If you think Dak Prescott can be good and just needs another guy at the helm to mold him, that's the changes that are going to be made. If you think Dak, Dak Prescott's not good, but Jason Garrett needs another chance, which I can't really see happening if I'm going to be honest, then he goes in that direction. I, I think if I had to, you know, if I'm sitting in Jerry Jones' seat, you know, with, you know, not using emotional ties and, you know, out off the field stuff, just looking at on field production. I think this, you know, this team needs rebuilds. You know, the, the Dallas Cowboys defense is not the same. Their best players on a franchise tag. Yes, Byron Jones is coming into his, coming into himself, number one corner right now in the NFL, per PFF's grades, but there's still a lot of pieces needed on that defense and now on the offensive side of the ball with Des Bryant gone. Jason Witten retired, offensive line shaking up. You're not sure what the future is at center. This team is just, barreling down the tracks, you know, choo-choo towards a rebuild. And the, the, the best way to start a rebuild, you know, is get new system in, new, new coaching staff, and then obviously a new signal caller. And it's just awkward because they still have, like you said, some stars in Ezekiel Elliott and like you said, Byron Jones and Sean Lee. And it's just like, I, you know what it kind of reminds me of what's going on with Dallas this year is kind of like what Cincinnati has dealt with in some years with Andy Dalton and several years with Alex Smith, where there's, we're finding out there are certain quarterbacks, it takes a couple of years to get a good read on who they really are as quarterbacks, is, um, you know, not everyone can be a franchise cornerstone that can make everybody around them better. Not everybody can be Tom Brady. Not everybody can be this freak of nature that can turn something out of nothing. Some quarterbacks can still be really effective. They just need a lead at town around them, like Andy Dalton getting um, Tyler Eifert healthy, getting Joe Mixon in the fold, getting into a more college-friendly offense. Like, he has to have a lot of variables in his favor. But guess what? The Bengals are really good this year, so it doesn't matter how they do it as long as they do it and recognize, okay, we may not have a top five guy, but we at least have someone who is not going to lose his games that we kind of have to adjust and we get the right scheme around him and the right talent around him. We can still make this work because our defense is still solid and Dallas doesn't have a problem defensively for sure. And then you still have a good offensive line and I, the Cordy Glenn signing or trade, I should say, in Cincinnati is obviously paying dividends because it turns out Andy Dalton's a lot better when he has a clean pocket. Who would have ever thought that? And uh, I think the same could be said for Dallas where I'm like, I just, I want to see what happens when they uh, add another couple pieces because I don't think Dallas and Jerry Jones has any interest in doing a long-term teardown, right? Like it, he's going to reload. And it, the only way to do that is to, really beef up that receiving core and i mean i still like you like michael gallup and cole beasley and guys like that but um i don't blame them for moving on from des because he, as of right now he's still not on a roster so i don't think that's a issue and i don't think they saw the jason witten stuff coming so that's not really a fault on them either i just think that they're in a bad spot this year and i think that they're going to overcorrect this offseason by just spending a bunch on offense and ignoring the defense and just hoping that putting enough talent around Dak will solve all their problems. Yeah. The, the issues with that is just, you know, in the current salary cap you know, situation where quarterbacks, even middling quarterbacks are drawing in record, break, record break contracts, quarterbacks that have proved themselves too much. Maybe just had a good five game streak and are getting record breaking contracts. It's so much harder now to build around a guy that does not elevate the offense. It doesn't elevate the team yep. by significant margins. 
because you're just not going to be able to find enough talent around him, spend enough money around him to make him good. And that's why you're seeing now that, you know, so many teams are kind of going with a guy that for the short term and then hopefully finding a guy, a quarterback on a rookie contract that can play well. But if you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, you're able to build a very talented roster with, you know, spending at other positions like the Eagles did this past season. Obviously, Carson Wentz on his rookie contract, they're able to pay up for Brandon Graham, pay up for Fletcher Cox, you know, sign Patrick Robinson in the offseason, get those veteran guys in, get that veteran talent in. And then when, you know, when Carson Wentz is eventually going to have to get that, you know, extension is when it becomes so much harder. And Dak is nearing that extension time. And if they do pull the trigger on that, they're going to spend, uh, you know, a pretty penny. And it's going to be that much harder to find a veteran receiver in free agency, you know, maybe even another offensive lineman to help with depth. That's just, you know, that's my take. And I would have to be all in as Jerry Jones or Jason Garrett on Dak Prescott to really think about doing a partial rebuild in terms of investing in the offense and trying to build around him. Because if I'm even, you know, hesitant at all, say they finish this season and Dak Prescott looks like one of the worst QBs in the league, I'm more willing to, you know, dive back into the pool that is the NFL draft and look at one of those talented QBs coming out of college. I'm going to give you three names and I would like for you to rank them off the top of your head of most likely to get paid in the next year or two. Ready? Yes. Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Dak Prescott. That's very tough. I think of those three, I am leaning towards Marcus Mariota. I think there's a, there's a great, really? Great chance, okay. There's a great chance that all three of quarterbacks see contracts. I think they're all going to get to that second contract. I just don't think they're going to get as paid as much as maybe Marcus Mariota, just because Marcus Mariota went to the playoffs last year. He's dealt with an injury this year, and they're still finding ways to win games. They just came off a win against Jacksonville. And then that, that's, you know, when you're winning games, it's a lot easier to stick with a guy that maybe you have questions about. But with, you know, Dak, you know Dak's not winning games, and you look at Jameis, you know, off-field stuff, it's hard to build around a franchise with a guy that has that kind of off-field concerns. And when you insert his backup, they're playing just as, you know, just as well, if not significantly better. I think, you know, those other two guys just have way too many question marks and the play is just not elevating enough to want to go all in. But Marcus Mariota, on the other hand, has flashed at times and he's a very safe QB. He's one of those guys that always finishes on the low end of the spectrum in terms of turnover-worthy play percentage, but he also finishes on the low spectrum of big-time throw percentage. He's not taking a lot of risks and putting it in the breadbasket, but he's also not turning the ball over a ton of times, similar to a Tyrod Taylor. Obviously, you don't mm-hmm. want to build around a Tyrod Taylor, but there's still time for... Marks Mariota to recover from injury and maybe get a little bit better, get some better wide receivers. That's a team that needs some wide receivers. Yes, Corey Davis is great, but other than that, it's it's a struggle. They don't have a guy that you know a guy that can you know really blow people over the top. You know, you know, steal the top of the defense. It's it's tough for him to kind of make plays. And that running back tandem that they thought was going to be so talented is not really playing well in that outside zone scheme. I think they need a lot of pieces to build around Mariota as well. In addition to back in Cowboys. I don't think Eric Decker is coming out of retirement to help Marcus Marietta from uh, his comments today. I think that's we can go ahead and roll that one out. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough one. To be honest, I don't know if him coming out of retirement is going to do too much to help that Tennessee offense. I don't think he's the guy that really changes things for them. <laughs> Who wins a foot race now? Uh, Eric Decker at his age or Terrell Owens, like five years removed from organized football? I think T.O. still smokes him, right? Absolutely. I think T.O. has a good yeah. chance to win that one. I think... Uh, People underestimate him. He could suit up and play today. I'm I'm pretty convinced. There we go, that we can solve Tennessee's wide receiver problem. Or <laughs> Dallas. You know what? If it's going to be a struggle, let's bring T.O. back to Dallas. Yes, we just need one more celebration on the star from uh, Terrell Owens just before he, all, he fully hangs him up because I think I would love to see him back in Dallas. How did Buffalo 
win 27 to 6 in Minnesota. Have you wrapped your head around it? It's been a couple days now. Have you just has it was it just Josh Allen just did some crazy stuff and it happened and it <laughs> caught them off guard or like what do you make of Buffalo winning 27 to 6 and one of the biggest upsets of like the last 5 years? I still just I remember checking the score during the day. I'm like, "Oh, that's not right." 17 now this this is just this is weird did like uh Kirk Cousins just throw like two pick sixes how is this happening and uh you just go back and watch every Josh Allen throw and play and you're like oh my god this is weird this is like I the Bucky Brooks comparison where he um made the comparison I, I months ago of Cam Newton you're like oh I see it I get it and uh bad news for Bills receivers like Kelvin Benjamin who uh, wanted to get away from quarterbacks like Cam Newton. Uh, he's got the new one in Josh Allen, which um, I, I just I don't know what to make of it, man. Like I I was out and we were we were coining them as the worst team in professional football just a few weeks ago, and now it's like, wait a second, are they better than the Jets? Are we sure? And uh, I just I don't know what to do. Yeah, I, I, it's the easy headline is to kind of put all you know shift everything toward you know Josh Allen, he's the quarterback of the future. But, you know, he had a couple rushing TDs. I think it's easy to pick up on that. He had some good throws. He also had some bad throws, had some bad fumbles in the pocket. I think not enough, you know, praise is going to the Buffalo Bills defense. They ended up pressuring Kirk Cousins on north of 50% of his dropbacks in that game. That was insane. The Minnesota offensive line mm-hmm. was absolutely in shambles. And Kirk Cousins fumbled the ball multiple times, set up the Bills in good field position, I think, you know, one or two times. And that defense just, you know, just shut down the Minnesota Vikings. They ended up finishing that game with six points, and, and Buffalo was mixing in, you know, some backup towards down the stretch. I think it's incredible how well that Buffalo defense, you know, game planned against the Minnesota Vikings and just performed and executed against the Minnesota Vikings. When Lorenzo Alexander and Jerry Hughes are having career days against your offensive tackles, that's that's really bad. It, it Just in Mike Remmers and Riley Reef alone, they allowed 20 pressures in that game. On average, Not great. Team, whole teams allow about 10 per game on average. They allow 20 as a duo. That's just, you know, a very, you know, a very big stat that's going to tip the scales for a team that's trying to, you know, trying to move the ball on offense, you know, push the, you know, even if you're punting, push the opposing side into poor field position because the Bills had easy field to go with. They, they ended up, you know, taking advantage of some of the, uh, uh, broken down coverage and scored early and Minnesota could not drive out of the hole because they weren't able to lean on their running backs. They weren't able to, you know, push Latavius Murray like everyone thought he was gonna have a great game. Dalvin Cook. They weren't able to hand the ball off because they were down early and they needed to you know, play catch up and Kirk Cousins being under pressure for fifty percent of the time on that is just not gonna, you know, go well for that Minnesota team. Yeah. And you know what? Shout out to uh Tredavious White, who is maybe the most underrated corner in football now. Yo, absolutely. Last year we had him going neck to neck and neck with uh, Marshawn Lattimore for defensive rookie of the year. Tredavious White was lights out. He plays well against Gronkowski in that game. He plays well against boundary receivers. He's able to shadow. He's able to play one side. This is a guy that, because of how good Marshawn Lattimore was, got you know overlooked and you know pushed to the curb. And you know, people, and he's playing in Buffalo, who obviously aren't winning a ton of games. Made it easy to kind of you know push him to the side and put him underneath you know Lattimore's shadow. But this is a guy that's playing lights out and. You bring him in, you got, you know, Mike, I think um, Michael High can play, can plays well. Poyer can play well at times. I think that secondary is a lot better than people think. And it's easy because, you know, they lost their two, first two games. They looked very bad doing so. But now you come in at your one and two. You know, Patriots are one and two. They, I mean, I'm not comparing the two in terms of roster talent, obviously quarterback talent, but they're not 
they're far from out of it in terms of, you know, a wild card chase and an AFC that's really shaken up. You know, there's not a lot of juggernauts in the AFC, probably outside the Kansas City Chiefs right now. I think if they can, you know, that defense. And they're not even a juggernaut, right? Like they have the worst defense in football. Like they're just like the old Miss of the NFL where it's like they have this insane offense where they're just going to outscore everybody like Patrick Mahomes with just five touchdown games seemingly for the rest of his career. Like that's just going to happen. And he's just going to run around like Brett Favre and like Seneca Wallace against uh, Texas Tech in like 2004. Like that play just he's he's insane and uh it's fun to watch but that defense we cannot understate just how bad that defense oh, is. So that's why i'm not. still just i'm not in on the chiefs yet like i just they have too many problems defensively for me to really believe that they're coming out of the afc do i think that they're must see television week to week of course do i think <laughs> they're better than the chargers no i will never quit the chargers as much as they hurt me wow. week after week I can't. So the Chargers, man, I mean, not having uh, in the Rams game. So the Rams have the best offensive line in football. And that matters when you're going up against Melvin Ingram and this Chargers defense, because uh, you know what? Jared Goff is pretty good when he has a clean pocket. We saw that he got pressured like two or three times in this game. I want to say on pass uh, pass plays. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It, it, it pays dividends against defensive lines like that, even if you're going up against Casey Hayward, Derwin James, and everybody else in the backfield for Los Angeles. Like, it's, I didn't really come away with that game of like, oh, they're in trouble because there's no Bosa. And if they have Bosa and Ingram, I think that's a really interesting matchup because Andrew Whitworth is killing people on the left side for Los Angeles, but that whole offensive line is. And I just, the Rams just might be the best team in football by a wide margin. And it's, uh, it's kind of crazy because I was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say I was out on them in the offseason, but I, I said one of two things is going to happen with this team. They're either going to be a juggernaut and go like 14-2 and two and beat everyone down, or they're going to implode and this is like all over within like eight weeks. And <laughs> it looks like it's going to be the former. Like there was no middle ground. They were not going nine and seven with this cast of characters. But then they're getting like Sam Shields who like came out of retirement to step in for an injured Marcus Peters and he's effective. I mean, it's just... The Rams are amazing, so I'm just not really worried about the Chargers yet um, because, you know what, Phillip Rivers did not have uh, much time to throw in that game. The Rams got after him. He didn't have time. Uh, Mike Williams looks like a future superstar. Keenan Allen getting hurt this week, that kind of concerns me, but I just this Chargers team still just has too much talent for me to really ever quit them. They're a more complete team than the Chiefs. I don't think that's crazy to say. I don't know. I mean, maybe more complete, but at a certain point, as fiery as the Kansas City Chiefs offense is right now, I don't know if there's a lot of other offenses, specifically in the yeah. AFC. I think the Rams can go toe-to-toe with them for sure. But just looking at the AFC, there's not a lot of defenses that can really you know, stop this Kansas City Chiefs offense, and there's not a lot of offenses that can really go toe-to-toe. Even the Patriots, without Julian Edelman and you know, Josh Gordon still not, not playing yet, I don't think that offense, even with Tom Brady, best quarterback in football, can really go you know, 35 points with the Chiefs right now against as bad of a defense the Chiefs have. And going back to the Chargers, it's reports are saying that they're going to be out without Bosa till November, and then that that defense is, you know, obviously not not going to have this, you know, star. I think one of their best players. Wait, I thought that was the other Bosa. I thought it was his younger brother out till November. I think this one, the Chargers Bosa might be out for a couple of weeks, I thought. Oh, I, I, okay. Maybe I, I missed Bosa's there. I thought, I think I it, yeah, I think, I I think Joey Chargers, Bosa I, is the one. Yeah, no, I think Joey Bosa is the one who's out for two weeks, the one on the Chargers, and then gotcha. his younger brother is out for a while. At okay, Ohio State. okay. I could, I'm pretty certain that's what it is, but I could be wrong. All right, I'm, I'll have to double check. Yeah, for sure. But if Bosa's out for an extended period of time, it's going to be very tough for this defense to, 
to rally the troops and, and get going. And, and you speak to the offensive line, it's one of the worst offensive lines in football. Dan Feeney is graded out to be one of the worst guards from a pass protection standpoint in the NFL. And allowing that interior pressure combined with not having great offensive tackles, Sam Teddy, I'm sorry, is not the answer there. It's going to be very hard for Philip Rivers, who's very good in the clean pocket, but you know can, can only do so much from a pressured pocket. Even the best quarterbacks under pressure still struggle under pressure and do have those turnover-worthy plays. It's going to be tough for this Chargers team to, you know, get out of the hole they're in and, and play well. Who do you think wins the NFC South right now? I, we're a couple weeks in, but, I mean, we saw what happened to Fitzmagic when it uh, evaporates. We saw the Panthers win a very good game against the Bengals. We saw the Saints outlast the Falcons, and the Falcons are down to, um, I think, seven total defensive players at this point. Um <laughs> But I mean, hey, having Calvin Ridley break out, that's pretty cool. So yeah. I guess that's, you get one thing and everything else is taken away. Um, what, how do you see it playing out? Because you have watched more of all four of these teams than I have at this point. I just, I still think it's the Saints, but I, I can't, I can't quit this Panthers group. Like North Turner may actually turn out to be a really good uh, hire for Carolina. Yeah, I'm with you on the Saints in terms, but in terms of who's going to win this one, but it's close. But between them and the, and the Panthers and the Falcons, all three can be factored in. I'm not going to be one. To we can write off the Falcons right now. What'd you say? We can write off the Falcons. Yeah, I, we, I can go ahead and tell you, I, defense, I would write them off as a division winner. To yeah. lose, to lose as many stars they've had in the secondary alone is unbearable. And then you factor in Deion Jones, and what they have one of the worst edge rushing pressure percentages right now. Pick Beasley simply not getting uh, it done. It, it, it's bad yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. And when Drew Brees is hot, he's the second highest graded quarterback in football right now, and I don't see him trending down. I think this is the guy you just simply can't bet against. But Panthers is you know are, are a, sleep, a dark horse in that one. I think they can easily sneak into that top conversation if Kendrick's playing well. As long as Kendrick's playing well and rushing for TDs and not making mistakes with the ball. This, this is a team that can, you know, can go the distance. It, it, but Drew Brees isn't one of those guys that has to be playing well. He's always playing well. It's up to his defense making the right amount of plays, the offensive line holding up. That's what's really going to rely on him. But Drew Brees, you can count on week in and week out. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, a lot of speculation, a lot of reckless speculation on Aaron Rodgers' health. When you watch him and you watch that game against Washington – do you think I want your opinion and then the PFF office's opinion <laughs> is Aaron Rodgers playing hurt and hiding some serious injury or is it just Washington's defense may be pretty good and he's just going up against good uh, de- defenses and is just struggling a little bit. Well, what do you think it is? I think given his play, it'd be very hard to say he's not at least a little banged up at least. His mobility is definitely. Do you think he's affected. playing on a torn ACL, like yeah. some people have speculated. No, no, no. I don't know if he's playing on a torn ACL. That would be, that would be pretty. I don't think he makes half the plays he made against Washington if he's playing on a torn ACL. I do think he's banged up. I don't think he's 100. percent But I also think this Washington Redskins defense is good. I think they have some talent, and specifically being able to rush the passer. I think they're able to, you know, affect when you can pressure an injured quarterback, a banged up quarterback that's really good, you know, as a mobile QB stepping up and rolling to his right and making plays with his feet. If you pressure him now as a Redskins defense, you're able to get to him. That's how the, you know, that's the key to the, key to the business in terms of stopping Green Bay right now. I think he is playing banged up. I don't think he's 100%. And when Aaron Rodgers isn't able to extend plays with his feet, and that's just, not, that's not just scrambling for nine yards on third and seven, that's moving in the pocket, finding, you know, creating time to find open throws. When he's not able to do that as effectively as was in week one, this Green Bay team's going to struggle for as long as that continues. 
I mean, at least he has a good left tackle. Right now, Bakhtiari is the biggest thing in Aaron Rodgers' life. If he was not a good left tackle right now, then he would be in serious trouble, and the Packers would be in serious trouble. But I think... I think they'll be fine. I, I'm just, I'm not concerned yet, but I also just, like you, I was a preseason, like, people were falling in love with this Giants team, and they were talking themselves into the Cowboys, and I was like, Washington has too much talent. They literally have, like, the Alabama defensive line now. They have Josh Norman in the back end. They have talent around Alex Smith, and do you know what Alex Smith does? He wins regular season games. No matter what you think of this guy, this guy knows how to win in the regular season. He is the Joe Montana of the regular season. Oh my if you goodness. Want, if you're looking for anyone to get you a regular season win, I'm picking Alex Smith number one every time. Week seven, I'm calling Alex. That There you go. I, I, I like it. John Montana comparison for Alex Smith in the regular season. I'll take that. That's, uh, that's not a bad comparison. I think It's if, not outlandish, man. I don't think it is. I think Alex Smith just, he wins regular season games. That is yeah. what he does. Like, Maryland does crab cakes. You know what? Alex Smith does regular season wins. Yeah, That's all I'm saying. I love it. I love the analogy. But if you put Aaron Rodgers behind, you know, the Vikings offensive line or some of the other worst offensive line that don't have a David Bakhtiari, I think they put him on the injured reserve. I don't think they let him play the rest of the season with that knee. I honestly don't. The fact that he's able to be under pressure so much fewer, you know, fewer times than other QBs is the reason, you know, Green Bay is going to be able to stick to him and stick with it through these next couple weeks as he heals up. But he's got behind one of the, you know, one of the worst offensive lines in football, like Minnesota, you know, Los Angeles has a tough, not, not the Rams, obviously the Chargers have a tough, off, I mean, a rough offensive line. I think if he's playing behind one of those, I don't even know if Green Bay keeps him under center. You didn't even mention Houston, who definitely has <laughs> yeah, the worst yeah, offensive line. Houston, like, Deshaun Watson, he's like, I was looking at PFF's pressure numbers for him. It, he shouldn't be alive. Oh my gosh! If he was, if he wasn't as mobile as he is, I don't think he would be alive. I think the Reds. Red, I mean, Houston's allowing a ton of pressures, and now Josh Rosen is going behind the worst offensive line of football in the Arizona oh, Cardinals. You know, Yupati is not playing like he used to be. Rookie Justin Center, Hugh isn't playing like have... Yeah, that whole right side of the line. I think it's what Andre Smith and someone else that was. Oh, Justin Pugh. Yes. And then the left side, oh no better. Yo, DJ Humphreys and Mikey Potty are both playing very poorly right now. But that's the Josh strength Rosen. of their offensive line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're going to be. Josh Rose is going to be under a lot of pressure as he you know gains his first career starts in these next few weeks, and it'd be impressive if he's able to come out you know unscathed and show some flashes. But he's not going to be able to win a lot of games behind that offensive line. Actually, a lot. I have one more thing. Why have the 49ers not worked out Paxton Lynch? Why is he not their starter for the last 12 games? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question. I think it makes a lot of sense if they are going to go for an outside hire that he is a young QB that you can develop. Like Paxton Lynch, or if they, if they really like C.J. Bethard, you know, continue to groom him. But I'm not going to go out there and try and find a veteran that's going to you know, maybe push me to six and ten rather than you know three yeah, and thirteen no. i'm not make doing it fun that. for your fans like the season's over jimmy yeah. garoppolo's gone like make this entertaining because if paxton lynch turns out to like really figure it out in shanahan's game great flip him for like a third round pick this offseason do something with him or if he's unbelievably awful at least the fans get to enjoy that because there's nothing more fun than watching a bad quarterback just self-destruct like a nathan peterman like, oh let's my get gosh 14, let's do that's what you want if you're yeah. a fan. You're like, I don't want to watch CJ CJ Beathard go like 13 of 15 for 112 yards and a 17 to 10 loss to the Cardinals in Week 10. Nobody wants that. Yeah, people would rather have a quarterback self-employed than mediocre play to a five and 11 season. 100. percent Yes, and that's what they're going to get if they you know they continue to start the third. Another Tom guy I was thinking Savage, about was, like know, the RG3. names were insane. Yeah. 
RG3, I know he's not a young quarterback that Ooh. you can develop, but he is a fun quarterback to watch. And I thought he, he had some flash plays in the preseason. You bring him in, you kind of turn your offense around, you got a little bit more mobility back there, more so than you have with Garoppolo. That could be a nice trade that they, I think they could get for a bargain. I think you, you, you send. I actually really uh, like this. You send Baltimore maybe a sixth or a seventh. If they're asking for more, it's like, okay, we'll go with the card and still lose the season. Like the 49ers don't need a lot of leverage. They have all the leverage in that we know we're mailing this in. You know, Ravens don't have to, you know, ask a firm price. I think you bring RG3 and you're going to put people in the stands. I think he's going to have some highlight plays. He might hurdle a guy. Hurdle a guy, you sell another 100, 100 tickets. I think that's the, that's the game plan for the Niners right now. I hadn't even considered Griffin, but I think that's the right answer. I think Robert Griffin in San Francisco is the right answer. Um, Mike Shanahan might roll over in his grave uh, yeah. with Kyle getting paired <laughs> up with Robert again. But um, outside of that, why not? No, I, I don't think there's a... There's a no, wait, what number would he not? be, though? He can't be number ten. That's Garoppolo's number now. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I want. To, I don't know if I can play the jersey game too much. I think you know, put him in number one. If Niners don't have a one right now, okay. I'd like to see RG three wearing a one. All right, that's fair. I love this idea. You heard it here first in the Chase Smith podcast. Austin has the answer for what San Francisco should do over the next week. Sign or actually trade for Robert Griffin the third. Yes, I think the worst thing they could do, and you know, the worst thing they could do is try and make a blockbuster trade for a QB that they think can win them, you know, push them forward this season, kind of like what the Raiders did a few years back when Jason Campbell went down. They, you know, they traded the kitchen sink for Carson Palmer just to still kind of finish oh God, over yeah. back. That was, that was the worst thing they could do. And that, a similar trade would that be with the 49ers trying to make a big blockbuster trade for Teddy Bridgewater. Or maybe try and pick, the, you know, whoever ends up not starting for Tampa Bay. Maybe it's Jameis. Maybe it's Ryan Fitzpatrick trying to trade a higher draft. Anything you trade in above a sixth round for a season that you know you're just going to turn back to Jimmy Garoppolo with a balling, I don't think it's the best decision. You pick a QB that will put the most fans in the stadium this year and that you can move on from next year. If they can get there, because as I've heard it, Levi Stadium, not an easy place to get to, not really near San Francisco. No, it's in Santa Clara. It's, it's definitely not in San yeah. Francisco. It's a, it's a, <laughs> if you live in San Francisco and you're getting to you know, Santa Clara, that is going to be... Probably an hour drive, depending on when you're driving. You know, Bay Area traffic is probably second worst in California compared to L.A. And that's just, you know, if you're a San Francisco 49ers fan in the heart of San Fran, I don't know if you're making it to a lot of games. Probably not. And it doesn't look like, from what I can tell, a lot of 49ers fans are making the trip. But, <laughs> not not uh, moving forward, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no. All right, Austin, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. We can read you at PFF.com where you are now the NFL editor. I read pro, fo- pro football focus every day. It's the best and uh, everybody else should too. And, you know, sign up for uh, all the different packages. A lot. Yeah. PFF has a lot to offer. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate your time. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. On the line right now, Sean Sullivan. Some people know him as Sully. I don't know him well enough to call him that yet. Maybe by the end of this podcast, he will allow me to call him the no, name. No, ab- absolutely call me Sully. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, it, we're already there. Uh, yep. We're already there. Um, Sean Sullivan, he is the he works for NFL Media. I first learned about him through the Move the Sticks podcast, the podcast that I've been listening to for a really long time now um it's kind of weird that the move the sticks uh podcast has been that uh much a part of my life for a while now so i've i'm always been jealous of you getting the, the chance to work with uh, daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks on a week-to-week basis 
Well, first and foremost, thanks for, thanks for having me, Chase. Uh, def- definitely uh, looking forward to talking some ball with you. But yeah, th- and thanks for listening. But yeah, I'm, I am so lucky to work with those guys. They're I tell people all the time, those two are the best in the business, and they make my job easy. So uh, it's definitely not me. It's, it's those two. So I, 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 I love working with them, and they're the, they're the best dudes too. So definitely makes my job easy. Who do you think carries the show, though? Who carries? Well, I mean. DJ DJ is definitely the host, so there's that mm-hmm. DJ. But I mean, I love both... that you're gonna give a serious answer on this. Okay, no, continue. no, I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it completely. No, I mean they're both they're both <laughs> it, it, they're both in their own way carry the show in, in two completely different yeah. ways. I mean they're both former scouts, but uh, absolutely a uh, couple of them smarter dudes you can run into uh, in the business about just X and O's and, and, and breaking down the game. Both of them work their tail off uh, watching film and and diving at all 22. So, but I mean, DJ drives it cause he's the host, but both of them are, are, are very talented guys in front of the camera for sure. It's just very efficient. It's one of those shows. And that's how I got into it originally is that they're not super long episodes. They are easily digestible. It's a lot of great stuff where like, it's just quick hitters. I mean, he, they both, like you said, obviously have their notes, but they're just so well prepared and they just know what they're talking about. They don't interrupt each other. It's just like two bright NFL guys just talking football for 20 right. to 30 minutes. And you're like, you always feel smarter. It's not one of those shows where you're like, I don't think I learned anything. It was just a bunch of guys talking about nothing and made me laugh a couple of times. It's like, oh, I didn't think about that. And I know this now. I know that now. And I like I, the Josh Allen, Cam Newton stuff. Bucky Brooks was the first person right. to put me on that where I'm like, oh, now I can't just not look at Josh Allen. Like when he beat the Vikings this weekend and be like, oh, Buggy Brooks, I, I think he was right. When he's taking uh, off for the Josh pylon, Allen, yeah. Yeah, you're like, yeah, oh, God, exactly. that's Cam in a nutshell. That is, uh, Bucky was right on there. Oh, yeah, we uh, and and that, that's our goal, to, to make you smarter on that podcast, 100%. And like I said, it's easy with those two dudes prepping the way they do. But, um, yeah, yeah, DJ and I used to joke but way back three years ago when I started working on the show that uh, we, we stick it to a nice, tight 30 minutes and, uh, and, yeah. and make make you smarter and and... and don't wax and wane on for, for, for an hour plus, which we, we, we tend to do sometimes as well, but we, we, we try to keep it tight and, uh, and make you smarter. Those are, those are two, two pretty good big goals of ours at, at Move the Sticks. Well, I should also point out the reason that I jotted your name down for a future podcast episode is that you are a Tennessee fan and mm-hmm. unfortunately I, I from listening and, uh, this is something that uh, is very it, it, it's very close to me because a lot of my uncles in the Tennessee. I my dad's a Tennessee fan and a Georgia fan. It's a long story. Um, <laughs> a lot of a family from Knoxville. Um, it's just I am very familiar with Tennessee football and just the irrational fan base. And mm-hmm. uh, being at Neyland, I have a picture actually when I was like four or five with the cheerleading squad. I was on the field for some reason. I think my Love all my that. uncles like had some sort of credential so there is a picture of me in the university sweatshirt that i ended up graduating college from university of north georgia in a the north georgia sweatshirt so i, I should have known back then that's where i was going to go but mm-hmm. uh with cheerleaders and everything else on the field at neyland i think Smokey is actually i don't know how many Smokies ago this was because i'm 27 so uh, uh a couple. so that that was the winning you took a picture with the winning of Smokey if i'm not mistaken if I'm yes if, so so yeah, I think the the winning is Smokey Smokey Nine or whatever it was, or whoever he was. Rest in peace. Um, I, I think he ran from roughly about when we were born because I'm 27 too, like around 91, 92, 93, all the way to 2002. So you're, you're talking about the okay, yeah, it was definitely him. Yeah, it was definitely him. 
so that, that's like the winningest Smokey in history. So I definitely saved that picture because I don't, I don't think there's going to be yeah. one that's going to beat it anytime soon. <laughs> It's a great picture. It's uh, it, it's it's baffling that it happened. I still don't really know how it got on the field and everything else, but I think it was Tennessee Vanderbilt. I want to say is what the game was. Yeah, I'm, I, I, back uh, back in the nineties, Tennessee uh, beat Vanderbilt. I, I, I don't know quite what that feels like the past few years, but yeah, I need to get back to that eventually. I'd say. Yeah, I mean uh, that would that would be a good thing, um, mm-hmm. or just be competitive against Alabama again, like the Lincoln. Yeah. We forget that, by the way. How the Rocky good block. Are the, like, yeah, like I don't. We just bypass like Lane Kiffin almost beating Alabama in year one of his Tennessee tenure. Like he should have won. Like it was a crazy block kick. So, and Mount yeah. Cody ripped his helmet off at the end of that game. And I actually have a story about that game, uh, or just about okay. Cody. He's he's had his his troubles recently off the field, and um, for sure. But this was this was pre troubles and. I was down in T-Town for the Tennessee-Alabama game, actually the last post one uh, down in Tuscaloosa with, uh, with the strip sack fumble uh, on Dobbs in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. And so before the game, one of my buddies does radio down there in Tuscaloosa, and they had Cody on to talk to Rocky Block and the last you know, really close game that they had against Tennessee. And, and I, after the interview, I was like, okay, well, let me, let me, I got to ask you, as just a Vols fan, was that a penalty when you ripped your helmet off? And he goes, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, it was definitely a penalty. I ripped my helmet off. <laughs> so at least I, 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 and that I just slept better more. that night. Right. At least he was okay. honest. You know, I slept better that night, even after a loss. So it, okay, at least the Rocky block, you know, the guy that did it admitted that should have been a 15-yard penalty. So that, that it came full circle eventually. Well, I was at uh, one of the games. I, it was Tennessee, Georgia that year. I, it was my first time as like an adult at Neyland. And, and like, if you haven't been to Neyland, like that's one of those like top five stadiums that you just have to go to because it's bucket like unless you're there in person, it's just it's hard to explain just how big it is until you actually go in there and you're like, oh my god, this is. I've been to Stanford. I've been to a lot of different stadiums, but like Neyland is definitely like the craziest college atmosphere I've been around. And not in terms of like fans, it just how like the scope of mm-hmm. just being inside you're like oh my god this is insane it's huge i've i've actually been to every sec stadium um and and i gotta say just taking the fact that i'm a tennessee grad out of it tennessee is definitely one of if not the the craziest atmospheres you're you're spot on right there that i mean you got it alabama's good but it's a little more pro feel the swamp's great uh, uh stanford is great but i think tennessee and, and death valley are at LSU or one and two, if you're just talking SEC stadiums, they're 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 both pretty crazy. You gotta gotta go if you haven't. Yeah, um, but those were those were good times. The Lane Kiffin, Jonathan Crompton years. I know you want to reminisce oh, more and more on. Uh, let me tell you, <laughs> the Bryce Brown, the uh, yeah, that great one year. Hey, you beat New Georgia that year. It was a big yeah, ball. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you blew them out actually. That as far as first year head coaches go. For Tennessee recently, it, I think Vols fans would absolutely trade that season for for what what Dooley and Butch and and what's probably going to happen this year with Pruitt. Uh, Kiffin really didn't get blown out a lot. He, he had a twenty five point loss against Ole Miss, but yeah, there's some big wins and some really close wins and or uh, and and are re- really close losses, I should say. And yeah, that, that year was actually one of the last good ones. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I was kind of like just my family members that are big Tennessee fans absolutely despise Lane Kiffin and everything mm-hmm. that happened there. 
And I get like it was just it was a bad ending, but then again, I mean, he left for his dream job. Like USC was always like going to be one of those jobs he would, that he would leave. And I think if that did not open up, I don't think he would have left. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there was some weird stuff, but like I don't know. I mean, it, I was like, that hate, would you that hate, him back that now? hate is would, mostly gone. Yes, that hate is mostly gone. Like it, when back in the middle of the crazy coaching search, a lot of Tennessee fans were ready to bring back Kiffin to Knoxville. And and honestly, I guarantee he would he would he would love to come back as well. Just just from a lot of the quotes and a lot of, a lot of different uh, interviews and just just people asking about his time on Rocky Top, I guarantee he would have come back in a heartbeat. So that, unfortunately, I, I think, he is waiting for the Auburn job. Yeah, yeah, you think so? He's, he's I think uh, so. Whew, I, I, yeah, a, a lot of things that have to happen this year, but um, at Georgia, at Mississippi State, and at Alabama, might if you drop all those three, you might be talking about a coaching search real quick i'm so frustrated with this auburn stuff like this week just hearing like they're still searching for answers on offense i mean a lot of it's just their offensive line like mm-hmm. auburn's offensive line is just not very good and that's yeah a you, problem you're, 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 you're made to clean pocket yeah not having you're, you're, going, you're going into what like week five and you're line. still having a center battle yeah it's it's not great but then again you still find a way to beat washington the opener you w- get some big wins like you you still kind of blow out arkansas but you have to like watch the game to see that it really w- didn't feel like a blowout it's like mm-hmm. what happened at uga uh this weekend where like they won by double digits but it doesn't feel like they won like the, if you were listening to atlanta media people over the last week you would think that georgia actually lost to mizzou and um, right. it's i mean it's good for georgia fans because there's that expectation now where they're like the uh, Alabama of the SEC East where like every win should feel like a blowout, especially against inferior opponents, even if it is on the road. Like it's just one of those things where they felt like, Oh, we did this stupid thing and this happened. We should have won by like 35 and it should have felt better. Like we're now going into the point where it's like, if the win didn't feel good for the fan, then it's like, Oh, we're in trouble. That's like, they're frustrated about just not winning aesthetically pleasing enough way. Yeah, it, it, I, you got to be frustrated though as an Auburn fan when when you go four for thirteen on third down like that, and and that that that's the stat that really jumped out to me. I, I think I think Lindsey really needs to uh, focus on on third down this week, and and and, and you're going up against a team that that in Southern Miss that that is is the type of team where you, you're going to be able to run just about everything you want. So you you better iron out some stuff uh, down on the plains because. The schedule isn't isn't getting any easier anytime soon. I think it's at Mississippi State the week after, if I'm not not mistaken. So it's yeah. time to it's time to it's, iron uh, out everything on offense <laughs> now. I mean, I've accepted eight and four, nine and three. Like nine and wow. three is best case scenario, but it's probably eight and four, and I think that's still enough for him to keep his job. I don't know if that keeps Chip Lindsey his job, but um, I mean, Gus just donated like two million dollars to like the school and uh, an athletic activity. I think that might've been a form of self-preservation, but that might be too cynical <laughs> of a look on that. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think the schedule is too difficult. Like I think they're losing to Alabama and Georgia, and then they might drop one more. I, I just, that LSU game was just awful. Like no more playing LSU. I hate this team. I hate Joe Burrows and Danny Etling and all these LSU quarterbacks that keep finding ways to stay alive and not be good all game, but then have these great, like, the poise is there. Like Joe Burrows was not phased at all. Like he wasn't Mm-mm. good, 
but he's a good leader. And I don't know if that makes sense. If you didn't watch the game or you don't watch LSU on a week to week basis, you don't understand like how frustrating it is to play that team because Mm -hmm. their defense is obviously great. And I mean, their secondary, like they have basically Jamal Adams 2.0 back there who was wrecking uh, Jarrett Stedham's life a couple weeks ago. But like, this is still a team that just their offense, like I forgot who it was who was describing, like they just don't even have an identity. They're just doing a bunch of different stuff. Like they moved on from Matt Canada after one year and he was supposed to be one of their big gets to uh, help Ed Ordron. And they promoted this guy who has been on the staff for like 30 years and just never been the OC or whatever. It's just really weird. And then they get the Ohio state transfer and Joe Burrow and another big 10 guy that comes to the sec. And it's like, he's not good, but like that dude, He's better than that. He's heck a lot better than 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 what they've had, and he's definitely got more arms. He's better than Keller Christ. Had. Yeah, I mean he's 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 better than Mettenberger, and Mettenberger played some nasty NFL. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't I, know I, about that actually. I, I think, think Mettenberger might be their best quarterback in like fifteen years. Yeah, well, that that's not saying much. That's not saying exactly a whole lot. But I, I think he could end up being better than Mettenberger. He's got he's got more arm talent. He's 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 obviously got the size. Uh, and, and as, as you said, as you pointed out, going down on the, like on the planes and pulling out that win in the fourth quarter and leading a team, uh, uh, on a, on a game winning drive in the, in the face of that defense and that atmosphere, that, that stood out to me. And I I think that's, that's something that, that Etling or any other previous quarterbacks couldn't have done, um, and didn't do. And, and, and I think, uh, yeah, LSU, LSU's. A team that's going to drop off. I think we're 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 they're a ticking time bomb. They're, eventually, it's going to catch up to them. But uh, still, pleasant, pleasantly surprised with the with the Bayou Tigers for sure. I, I think that that's that's a team that's not not a lot of expectations coming into the season, and and at least not top five, top ten expectations. And they're there now. You got you got to give them a lot of credit. Coach has got those boys uh, fired up and, and ready to go down on the Bayou. I will be doing none of those things. I'm not <laughs> surprised. I want all of it to go away. So yeah, no, I'm out. I'm out on all of it. I, 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 this weekend, uh, matchup of the weekend, possibly AJ Brown versus Greedy Williams. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to yes. tune into that game and watch it the entire winning, time. No way. I think this is where they do it. The number got, one offense in football. It's going to happen. You're LSU's not, you're, gonna, you're like, not after the only beating one. Auburn. Yeah. Oh, who else? DJ, DJ Shockley. I was watching SEC Now a couple of days ago. Is picking uh-huh. picking him in, uh, in in the upset in the Magnolia Bowl. Yeah. There we so, go. Uh, it's, you, um... you, it's you and Shockley. <laughs> there we go. I've always said I was the DJ Shockley of uh, sports podcasting. I love it. I love it. I, I, just yeah. versatile. <laughs> can 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 talk a lot of different sports. I mean, Shockley got some some, some decent, pretty pretty big wins at his time at Georgia. So, not not, not a terrible comp, right? No, I, I will gladly take it. I mean, he was the, uh, like, it's kind of funny, like, he followed David Green, and David Green's, like, this celebrated hero of mm-hmm. Georgia football, and then DJ Shockley, like, I think their win percentage was about even. I remember I had this debate with someone not telling me, I was like, I felt like DJ Shockley was a better Georgia quarterback than David Green, but um, obviously he still went to the SEC title game and all that kind of stuff, and they were really right. good with him. But uh, it kind of reminded me of, like, and this is to bring about Tennessee for a second, T. Martin, my favorite way of trolling my family members who are big Tennessee fans. Like, I mean, can you deny that Tennessee got over the hump once T. Martin got inserted into the starting lineup? That uh, are we sure T. They Martin did. is not the greatest Tennessee quarterback of all time? Uh he, yeah. I mean, he's right there. He's right there. He he got over the Florida hump. That was the big deal. I, that, I, exactly. I, Peyton Manning, zero and four. Yep. 
0 and 4, and uh, and that was a dang good uh, a Steve Spurrier team, obviously that came in in '98, and 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 they they did get it done. They they honored them last week, and whoo, that was a couple of different football teams that took Neyland Shields Walk and Field at Neyland Stadium uh, than the '98. I'll tell you that, man, alive. That <laughs> T. Martin was probably one of the only. Uh, obviously, he was busy out 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 here in California, but uh, if he watched that. <laughs> Watch that Tennessee Florida game, which I don't know if he did. Uh, it, it definitely looked a heck of a lot different than than, uh, than than the two rosters that took the field back in '98 when he finally got over that hump. Woo! Yeah, that's yeah. just a couple bad football teams. <laughs> I mean, so I've been caught. Like this is weird because I, I mean, I remember Jeremy Pruitt from Two a Days. That's my first. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched the show. One of my favorite. Oh, it's it's great. Him and the asparagus. Just I could watch that once a day for the rest of my life and never it's get so tired. So funny. It's 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 so great. <laughs> it's so naive and genuine and likable of him just being like he's genuinely curious. Like, uh, what is that? what what is asparagus? <laughs> like, I, I don't even know what that is. It's a vegetable. I think I love that. But, <laughs> but uh, the dude coaches ball. He doesn't he doesn't doesn't uh, spend his time uh, eating vegetables. I guess he 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 just coaches ball and he's all about ball. And that and that's fine with me, really. What did you make of him kicking the whiteboard? Uh, I loved it. Like, I mean, it's, it's okay. he's 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 pissed off. Like, I, that doesn't that doesn't bother me whatsoever. Uh, and the the funniest part about that was uh, the coach that was drawing on on the whiteboard just kept going. Like, it didn't even phase him. Nothing. Like, Pruitt turns around, barking at the player, drop kicks that freaking whiteboard, and the still drawing X's and O's like just game locked in. It was like, that, that was the best part, but no, I, it, it, that, that doesn't bother me showing emotion. I, I think it's, it's, I wish more of the players showed of that showed some of that emotion on the field later on in that game. We saw some of it, but that team wilted once they got punched in the mouth and, and it, once it rained, it poured obviously with six turnovers, but yeah, yeah, that 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 doesn't bother me much, really. I mean, kick that whiteboard. You're you're down you're down to your biggest rival, big, with six turnovers, playing a lot of sloppy football. Uh, honestly, I was I was wanting to kick a whiteboard myself at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I just so on the podcast on Monday, Jordan and I were talking about this. Where like, I just don't care that much about how a coach does in year one a new coach mm-hmm. a new program like this he's got to get his own guys chip kelly is not in trouble at ucla yet like i'm no. not like he go oh and 12 and i'm still like i think they could go like eight and four next year like year two and year three are the big years like right. coaches experiment if you listen and read every like smart person who knows college football talk about this where they're all like you just can't look at year one kirby smart was a 500 coach in year one at dga like nick saban had a horrible loss in year one at alabama like it's just mm-hmm you got to wait it out. And I understand like Tennessee fans, like it's their rival. It was a terrible way to lose national television, everything like this. You're not going to know about Jerry, Jeremy Pruitt until next year, like right. midway next year. So just, it, I, I can't even say enjoy this year because I think it's going to be like Tennessee before the season. I looked at their schedule. And I was like, Oh my God, this is a terrible year. The next one three weeks are so bad. Yeah. I, it, I feel bad because it's going to be a nightmare, but, mm-hmm. but Jeremy Pruitt can recruit. They're going to get guys. They're going to get more talent. I still think Tyson Helton's a good OC, and they're going to figure things out on that front. I think they're going to have I don't know about that talent yet. at some point. I, I just wouldn't worry about it. I, I would not worry about it. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm a wait-and-see uh, type of guy with, with Pruitt, I, I, and you have to be. You, you absolutely have to be. It's the, the guy's first head coaching stop that, that it, in, at a major major stop. Um, obviously, it, 
he's it's going to take time. This this is coming off of the worst year in in over a hundred years at the University of Tennessee. The roster needs to get completely overturned. And and Pruitt admitted that. Like somebody asked him this week about what is he what was his message to the, all the four and five star recruits that were in the stadium for that for that absolute beatdown last week. And he said, look, a you can come in and play, but b this is going to be probably my worst year here at Tennessee this year. So come in and, 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 and just buy in and we need the, my type of players in, uh, in Knoxville. And and it's, it's not going to get right until he does that. And I I think Tennessee is going to get on that right track through recruiting because that, that, I mean, that's obviously the lifeblood of any program, but this coaching staff is is built for recruiting. It's, it's a, it's a who's who over the last decade plus of, of, of coaches that have, have coached at, at all sorts of different stops around the South and it had huge success of bringing in four and five stars and just the right guys. So uh, it's, it's going to take time. You're, you're spot on right there. As far as Hilton goes, I don't know. I don't know yet. Uh, that, that's, okay. that's, that's probably one of my biggest question marks about his staff. Uh, Hilton split time with T Martin at USC. He was calling first mm-hmm. and second down and, and obviously his brothers being the head coach, I don't know how many game plans he put together by himself. So it, but still a wait and see thing. He, he might turn out to be a great OC, but that, that's, that's probably my biggest question mark on him, the entire coaching staff. Well, maybe uh, T Martin rejoins him in Knoxville next year. Once uh, Clay Hilton. Gets no, 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 no. Yeah. I think T Martin, uh, he needs, he needs some work too. I, I, I was in the stadium for that, uh, Wazoo game last Friday and not, not impressed with his play calling. Not either. a fan. I, no. Yeah. And, and the he's SC like, fan top three recruiter. Isn't he like one of the best oh, yeah, recruiters he, in the country? Oh like, yeah. Yeah. He he can he can absolutely recruit with the best of them, but as far as play calling goes, not not quite up to that that standard. It, I, all the SC fans, and I'm I'm sure you know, there's there's a million of them in the in the media business, uh, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are, a lot of them are in the office at, at the NFL Network, and they they all just want him to to leave for Knoxville now. They, they'd love to make the trade <laughs> and, and take take Helton back. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know about T. I love him to death. One of the one of the greatest quarterbacks in Tennessee history, but uh, I, I don't think he needs to be our SC anytime soon. Okay. How do you feel about Kentucky being the second best team in the SEC East in 2018? Uh, I hate to say this, but I love it. Like it, 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 it's, it's new. It's, it's completely new. Kentucky's been, you know, just the, the, the basketball school and, and the, the, the redheaded stepchild as it were of the SEC for so long. And they haven't been ranked what since 07, since that Woodson, Woodson year. Right. Aaron Woodson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that was a, that that a Joker Phillips year. I think it was a Joker Phillips year. I'll take you right on that. But that was okay. a dang good football team. That that team took Tennessee to four overtimes and tried to knock them out of Atlanta. Uh, and and that that was that was a heck of a football team. And I think this one's a heck of a football team. I mean, it's not just Benny Snell. Uh, you, you obviously got touchdown Terry leading the way from Oregon. That that kid is a beast and and doing it with his legs and his arms. And and uh, that 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 win against State was was kind of eye-opening to just about everybody. I, I, I did not see that coming. I saw Nick Fitzgerald doing with what he wanted to do, but they, they, they handled their business at home, and I, I honestly think they're going to handle their business at home again this week. I, I, I don't think South Carolina's going to go in there and get a win. I'm right there with you. Like it's, But you know what's funny is like I just feel like the way this is ending, and I shouldn't say this is funny, but Kentucky, the same year they end like the Florida streak, the insane Florida streak, 
that and this is part of the reason that I think Tennessee fans got way too excited about the Florida game at home at night is that oh we can beat this Florida team because they lost to Kentucky at home. No, this isn't your this this isn't your cousin Kentucky team. This is not a bad exactly. That's the thing is it's like Florida. That's not a bad loss in 2018. Mm -hmm. Like that's just one of those things where Benny Snell is just their all time rushing touchdown leader. They have the bodies on defense now after years of recruiting. Like they've been recruiting pretty well under Stoops. It's just taken a while. And And their best their best guy's not even a big recruit. Exactly, and you know they've developed their defense, which is crazy. Exactly. But it takes time, and they're also taking advantage of just a time in the SEC East where so many teams are down, where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, people were talking themselves into Vanderbilt over Notre Dame, which uh, uh, a podcast guessed that. No, it did not. Not even close. Never, never a doubt. Never a doubt. Yeah, yeah. No. Just, just, no, just, never just, a doubt. Just a drop catch on a, on a late fourth quarter drive. Yeah, I had it all the way. <laughs> Solely, never a doubt. I never can doubt. confirm. Never was nervous about that game. Right, um, right. Never a doubt. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, no. Weird, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you go up and down just, the SEC East. I was just going to look go the ahead. rest of their schedule. I, I think I think they get a win, get a win this weekend uh, at home against South Carolina. Going yep. into A and M, don't know about that that's game. A loss. That's a loss. Yeah, let's, a we'll loss. go. We'll give it a loss. Hosting Vanderbilt, that's a win. At Mizzou, ooh, that's a toss toss up. I think it's a win. Oh, okay. All right, let's give it to him. That's a win. So where are we sitting at? Four, five, five and one, six and one, six and two. Six, <laughs> going, and, six and one going into Georgia. Uh, four, that is uh, at home. They get Georgia at home. No, that's seven and one, excuse me. Georgia at home. Yep, that's Georgia at home. So that's an... Uh, for the SEC East, just like we all predicted the in the offseason. Right. <laughs> No, they're they're dropping that. So that's that's two. That's two. Tennessee, huge win. MTSU, huge win. Louisville, huge win. So if they they could go two ten and two, ten and two or nine and three. Woo, man! That that that's that's one of the greatest years in Kentucky football history. And and, and you got it. Hats off the Stoops. There, there's obviously a lot of a lot of chatter. Uh, if he couldn't start getting it rolling in, in Lexington, and I, this this buys him another few years, yeah. No, the, the, I mean, just think the, about it. Like Bobby Petrino scored six points against uh, West Virginia this past week, and then obviously the extra point. But like it's mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. He named co-starters at quarterback this week. Like I would have never guessed what would end up being the downfall by Petrino at Louisville was the offense falling off a cliff. No. That's the one thing I could count on with Bobby Petrino forever is that the guy just knows how to put up forty five points a game. And now that's gone. And Benny that Snell's going to run all over those trouble. guys. Yeah. Good, I mean, good Tennessee's bye. down. They're down. Everybody in the East is down. Like, Florida is in a rebuilding year. Tennessee. And then, like, South Carolina was overrated. Like, it's just everything makes sense for Kentucky this year. And it, it's just wild. Like, this Texas A&M game, sneaky important because if they got to, like, if they really did go into Georgia undefeated, oh, my God. I think my head would explode. Like, like, who would it, who, you can't, when is that game? November. Kentucky, I don't think it has ever <laughs> gone into November undefeated, ever. And we're, we're not talking, we're not talking basketball here going undefeated. We're talking football. Like, what, what? No way. No way they can do that. But yeah, if they, if they beat, if they beat A&M, they're, I don't see how they're, yeah, that's you know what that going to feel like if uh, they're undefeated going into that Georgia game? 
What? Kansas Mizzou from a decade ago, where Mark Mangino was in the sideline and they were oh, like number one, number one, one the number two. Yeah, that was. Yes. I think that was the last. The last time Kentucky was ranked, wasn't that a 2007 game? That was yes. the Totsy Turvy crazy year in college football across across the entire landscape. Just bonkers. And then Mizzou well, just blew them out in very sad fashion. Like very Tlaib sad was fashion. on that Kansas team. Mm-hmm. Todd, was Todd Reese the quarterback? I want to say yes. he was. Yes, he was. And then right. Chase Daniel, like one of the all-time best college quarterbacks and the best backup quarterback in the NFL Ever. History based on can all I, the checks. Can I trade time. lives with him? That sounds pretty good. It's the best. Like the yeah. best, one he of the a, best quarterbacks in Mizzou history, and the like, he's made millions and millions and millions of dollars off of being a backup. That sounds nice. He is just. I would love to get him on a forty-five minute pod. I would love to just pick his brain. Like, <laughs> what are you saying to these coaches? How? What are you saying to these runout? Like, what, how does this? Work? How do you how keep do you, buying? I don't understand year this. After year, what is going on? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe the dude's just a great locker room guy, good glue guy. He's going to be the best Philadelphia Eagles coach in 2035. Like he is going to do <laughs> for that offense. Yeah, he's, he's that, Andy Reid's never is, is going to keep keep it going and, and until he literally dies on the sidelines, and then Daniel he's going to take <laughs> over and keep that offense right. rolling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there anybody that's going to beat Alabama this year in the SEC? Uh, anybody that's going to beat Alabama in the SEC? Mm, no. Okay. No. No, not at all. Not at all, not at all. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I just, Tua, like, that stat of him just throwing his first third down in completion this past weekend was just like, oh, my God. And I will say, though, the love mm-hmm. with Tua were just, the Ohio State stuff is so complicated, but they're so talented across the mm-hmm. board, and Dwayne Haskins is so much better than JT Barrett. He is completing almost 80% of his passes as well. He is just as efficient as Tua. It's just yeah. they're not playing anybody and nobody's watching Ohio State outside of that TCU game where um, they didn't have a Meyer on the sidelines. Like, we'll learn a lot this weekend against Penn State, but I just, it, I'm really, really hoping we get Ohio State Alabama in the final because I want to see Tua versus Haskins. That game would be so juicy on so many levels. I think everybody across the country is cheering for that game. Alabama, Ohio State, like the, the, the over under would be astronomical, I think, uh, between those two offenses. And uh, yeah, we were, I mean, we were talking about the pod this week. That, that, that is the most explosive Bama offense that they've had. And that, that's kind of a scary, scary thing to think about with when you consider what kind of defense they have. So, and yeah, just the I, turnover. They lost so many coaches. They 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 just always had to go do right. So much, yeah. They always and it just do. doesn't matter, right? They it doesn't matter whatsoever. I mean, they they, they just keep pumping pumping out coaches. It's it's a coaching farm as well as well as a well as a player farm. Too. They're not even running the ball well. Like if no. Najee Harris had like seven carries for like forty five yards like, this what? past week, like, like Tua is having to do everything, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, when you have that. Wide receiver core too. I think Jerry Judy's the next the next great one. Um, the, the, He's the, fine, but I mean, there's no Calvin Ridley. Like it was still like right. if you read any previous album this year, it's like it's just a lot of uncertainty around a lot of their guys. Like I mean, they lost a lot on defense. They lost a lot of receiving. I mean, they always have people in the backfield, but, but like but you're there were just question marks stars. that they hadn't had before, and this might be the best the team ever. Yeah, yeah, I think you're. But yeah, it it, it absolutely could be. It absolutely could be the best the best team that that Nick Saban's had, and and that's really stupid to just even even utter. But yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's beating them. I think they're running the table. I think that's your natty from uh, for for ne- this year. And shoot, they might keep it rolling with next year with Tua coming back. 
So, yeah. But we should remember, Alabama going back-to-back does not happen. Like, Nick Saban, it's it's really, really hard to go back-to-back. Right, right. No, I agree. Uh, it, it, it's it's It's... What makes college football so special is 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 how crazy it is to win a national championship. Even I think that Nick Saban gives himself what like twenty four hours to celebrate it before he starts working again. So it, mm. it's he understands more than anybody how much work it takes to go into it. And and yeah, uh, it, it's it, it's not going to happen often, but it's hard not to look at this Alabama team and try to poke holes in it. There's there's not really many holes right now as as we sit. Other than if they catch the injury bug, uh, they they have more depth than everybody else, and and it it it's it really is just a machine. It's a machine at this point, and I, I, I hate I'm to sure say Ian it. Book and Notre Dame couldn't find holes in this uh, Alabama defense. I I hundred percent sure that 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 would not mm. happen. Okay, hundred percent, hundred percent. But great, great, great change of quarterback though. I, I, Put you yeah. in the Notre Dame. Put Whenever you, the you have the opportunity to put in uh, Tommy Reese 2.0, you have to do it. Put you in the Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I think this is this is your season on the line this weekend, right? Because you look at the rest of the schedule. Uh, Vatek's not not exactly what what they were. Without... Well, they lost their quarterback now for the year. Right, right. right. Jackson's Fibula, gone. So Jackson's mm-hmm. gone. Right, and and uh, losing to a, a team that didn't have a program a decade ago is not mm-hmm. exactly uh, a, a shining point on your resume. And then USC doesn't look as good. Florida State doesn't look as good. Stanford is by far the biggest, baddest dude on the block left on that schedule. If they get over that hump, mm-hmm. might as well put them in. Put them in the. You might as well put your boy uh, book into into the into the playoffs. I I don't think they're making the playoff. I think their schedule is just too tough. I, I don't think they're going to survive it. I, their defense is legit. Book's good. That, they're just they're going like that, ten and two. That's what I'm saying though. Like if they actually beat Stanford this weekend. There's nobody on this on on the the rest. Well, no, of the they're going to lose that, somebody else if they beat Stanford this weekend. Is what I'm saying. I don't it, think that like that like drop drop yeah. one to drop one to Navy in San Diego. Like, is, is that where they're no, is Navy that where sucks. they're I think I mean Navy, Navy does just suck, lost to SMU but, this weekend. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. And, and if not I good. had to pick, I mean, I don't think it's FSU. It's up now. Probably at USC would be my biggest bet. Like, I just think that's like to end the season. That'd be the most unfortunate Notre Dame ending in years of them being 10 or 11 and 0 going into mm-hmm. USC, a very weak USC team where they're starting a freshman on the Clay road. Hilton's like, yeah, and Ooh, Clay I got one job. for you. Syracuse. Okay. I'm, I'm a big oh, fan God. of Dungy. Big fan of Dungy. There you go. And Dungy we trust. Yeah. I, lo- I love that quarterback. Uh, and they're, yeah, that, that could definitely, that could definitely come to bite them going trap game, a classic trap game going with a big, USC final game of the season on the road, big rivalry game. They, they're going to have that one circled. If they overlook Syracuse, they could bite them. So there's there's your game. Northwestern too. Eh, they're all right. Oh God, Northwestern. They got a quarterback. That's about it. Though. I mean, kind of. Who gets inserted in and out of the lineup every now yeah, and then? Kind um, of. Right. And and so, as you know, as Pat Fitzgerald pointed out, uh, the RPOs are communism for football. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Yeah. That that was weird. that quote spreading to Randy Etzel. I think agree with it, and who also like walked out of a media day this week. For I mean, we are about talking about a former former linebacker here, so I'll, I'll give him. I'll try to defend him there. Like I, I don't know. I guess he's <laughs> he just doesn't like his linebackers getting getting put out in awkward awkward spa- uh, plays in space. But yeah, not not a good look from old, old Patty Fitzgerald. No. No, it was it was weird. I mean, I don't know if that's a weirder quote than uh, Larry Fedora's 
uh, offseason stuff with football. Oh, I don't know which one. Yeah, that was wacky. Mm, yeah, the bit. And he's also probably getting fired this year. This is the last year of Larry Fedora at UNC. Yeah, that's it. Uh, th- those guys are done with uh, with Fedora. That's, it, I don't think no they're, Petrino, they're, they're no Fedora. I think there's going to be some cool jobs opening up in the next month or so. But not not a really big one. Big ones this off season, right? A lot of the big ones got. I think USC is opening up. You're, I mean, if USC you could be right up, on that. that's huge. But they, um, I mean, they started, they started slow that Rose Bowl year too and, and, and finished strong. So maybe. I mean, I guess if you believe in a freshman quarterback doing that, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying they're going, I'm not saying they're going to the Rose Bowl by any means for sure. But um, they, that the Pac-12 is one of the weaker conferences out there. Like, I don't, I don't, they, they yeah, can, they could, they could, but if we pull up their schedule, let's see. But they're not being Notre Dame. I don't, let's just go ahead and put that one out there. But that they could just, it could happen. Yeah, you never know. Those games uh, Colorado, Colorado. Yeah, that's 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 a toss up. Utah. Ooh, that's going to be a tough one on the road. Rice Eccles always rocking. Arizona State. That could be a loss. Cal could be a loss. They'll beat Oregon State. UCLA. They'll beat Notre Dame. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm I'm buying into it. He's probably gone. Yeah, I think uh, he's probably gone. And then do they get uh, Justin Wilcox from Cal to move down a little bit? How about that team? Right? So number 24. Those, number 24. Great defense. Great defense. Offense still trying to put it together, but yeah, that that's 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 a pleasant pleasant surprise out of the out of the out of the Pac-12. Let's see. They have a big one this weekend too, don't they? They have uh Yes, they play uh, Oregon. At Oregon. Ooh, yeah. I, I don't know yeah, I'm think I'm picking Oregon tomorrow. I can't remember what I put down on the on our pick sheet. I am sheet, too, but... but I think it's going to be a good 10:30 game where it's like, oh, this is going to be fun. And and a fun defense to to, to, to see uh, Justin Herbert go up against too as well. That 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 dude's the real deal as we saw last week against Stanford. Um, obviously couldn't get, couldn't get it done, and uh, that that game was just just lost its mind there towards the end. But yeah, yeah, I I I think that that that's that's another matchup. We were talking about Greedy Williams versus Brown. I I, I think Herbert versus that defense would is another fun matchup to watch this weekend. Yeah. All right, Sean. This was uh, this was great. I'm glad you were to do this tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And 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 anytime, I'd love to come on and talk ball. Uh, obviously, we we talk it on on Move the Sticks a good bit. So, yeah, I love talking college football with you. Yeah, man. As always, uh, we can find you on Twitter at Silly Ball. We can listen to you on the Move the Sticks podcast. Which, if you're not already subscribed to iTunes, go ahead and do that because it's one of the best NFL podcasts that you can uh, just. It's a. It won't even take you your whole commute to the office. It's one of those things where you can dive into multiple shows, and it's, especially uh, if you're in LA okay. too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're thirty minutes to, to <laughs> sit in traffic and, and listen to the pod. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Well, this was great. I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we will definitely talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Chase. Thanks for having me. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.